I had to take a pause in our series that we're doing in the book of Ruth. We will come back to Ruth. I'm loving the study in the book of Ruth, just for my purpose, whether you love it or not, I'm loving it. And I'm in the study and I want to finish the book, but this is one of those itches that keep demanding to be scratched, okay? It just, I, I want to be able to, in a sense, get this off my plate and let you think about it, let you think about it, and what your response needs to be as a conscientious Bible-believing Christian in the day and age in which we live. Now, if you are a serious Christian, I'm sure you've been wondering what has been going on in society and in a lot of churches today. Believe it or not, this did not appear suddenly. It's been brewing in social science departments of most universities and colleges and academia for at least the last five decades. It's only now beginning to take center stage in the broad culture. What does it mean to be woke? Uh, what is its association with critical race theory? And what does that really mean? What is intersectionality? And how is it affecting our lives? More important than anything else, what kind of impact is this having in Christianity, in churches, and a lot of Christian homes? I want you to listen to what our own pastor has said about this in more recently. Quoting him, Back last September, it says, today, critical race theory, feminism, toxic masculinity, intersectional theory, LGBT advocacy, progressive immigration policies, animal rights, and other left-wing political causes are all actively vying for evangelical acceptance under the rubric of social justice. Evangelical leaders are beginning to employ the same rhetoric and the rationale of victimhood versus oppression that is relentlessly employed by secularists who advocate for all kinds of deviant lifestyles and ideologies. It is a worst form of worldliness than Christians in earlier generations have ever contemplated. And to that, I can only say a huge amen. This is part one of a three-part series entitled The Trojan Horse of Critical Race Theory. And in part one, I want to highlight what is happening and at least provide a means by which you can understand it. Now, I'm going to say this right at the outset. As I move through the definitions of what's going on and what's happening in our society today, it's very easy for you to get lost and to not really catch what's happening. So uh, it's, this is going to demand your, in a sense, thought, meditation for a while to really catch on on how this all fits together. In parts two and three, my desire is to carefully critique it from a biblical perspective. I'm not going to do that in this first part. I basically need to lay out what's going on. In the first part, 
I will describe three areas where major changes occurred. And changes are rampant, more so at any time in the last 100 years, changes have really occurred. So I've divided these into three things. Uh, one is cultural changes, the second one, conceptual changes, and the third one, church changes, what's happening in terms of churches. Now, I believe what we're facing today as Christians is the most serious threat to the gospel and to the church that I've ever seen in a half century of my ministry. It's running through our society, bringing radical changes everywhere, and it will make the preaching of the gospel illegal. As Christians and as church pastors and leaders, we must prepare for a very, very lengthy battle ahead. It's one of the main reasons why we had Jay read from Jeremiah chapter 23 a little bit earlier. But if you have your Bible, grab your Bible and let's go over to the earlier verses of Jeremiah chapter 23. Jay didn't read these verses, but kind of to preface what he read there in verses 16 through 22. But we're interested in Jeremiah 23, verse 2 through verse 4. Jeremiah 23, verse 2 through verse 4. Jeremiah writes, Remember the words of God, the words that God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah um, to the priests and leaders of Israel. He says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who are tending my sheep, you have scattered my flock, you have driven them away, and have not attended to them. Behold, I'm about to tend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them and they will not be afraid any longer nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Now, what we are facing today is not a revision of Christianity. It is an entirely new religious order. Hear me? It is an entirely new religious order. Vody Bachman critiques what is happening like this. He says, quoting him, the social justice movement isn't just a pseudo-religion, but rather its own religious movement. This has all the trappings of religions, he says, noting that even atheists have made this point. The movement, for example, has its own cosmology, its own saints, its own liturgy, its own law, and some of those aspects are very subtle. Bachman notes, which makes them, uh, what makes them attractive to Christians who are rightly concerned about topics such as justice, racism, and equality, our tendency as a result is then to assume that CRT must somehow be aligned with Christianity, which it is absolutely not, he says. End of quote. It is absolutely not. In what's going on in our culture, Jesus Christ is redefined as a social justice warrior. The gospel is redefined as 
stripping the culture and the church of whiteness. The church is redefined as a revolutionary liberation movement championing, championing the cause of the oppressed. The Christian is redefined as being the person who has repented of personal, social, and historical sins of racism. Uh, this is an entirely new religion preached by elite liberals from the pulpits of university classrooms, mainline press, social media platforms, and it is having a profound impact on our cultural practices, our conceptual ideas, and church preaching. So let's look at the first part. What's the kind of impact that you're probably already beginning to notice in our culture? The cultural changes. It has been well documented that the historical roots of these changes go back to Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels in the Communist Manifesto back in 1848. Later, it was furthered through Theodore Adorno and Max Horkheimer, um, Frankfurt critical theorists. Their ideas about everyone being either an oppressor or an oppressed person took root in many secular universities in the 20th century. Let me make four observations about this attack upon the mind in academia, this attack upon the mind in academia. One professor at Syracuse University has noted a serious change in students. He says this, in my experience, the student population has undergone a sea change in attitude and general knowledge. This is why we say underneath the first point here that um, inquisitiveness and ambition is being replaced by conformity to a woke ideology of inclusiveness and altercation. This professor at Syracuse goes on and says, until fairly recently, these young Scholars were inquisitive, ambitious, somewhat rebellious, iconoclastic, as young people should be. These characteristics have been replaced by conformity to the woke orthodoxy, and heaven help you if you deviate. The docility is reinforced with what seems to be total ignorance of economics, civics, and Western cultural heritage that provides the foundation for our society. In fact, it goes well beyond ignorance as it is manifested in an antagonism towards the glories of Western culture and civilization. We are a society that has become unmoored from its past, a society that has lost cultural confidence. In fact, a society that is now busily destroying its own cultural heritage, end quote. So what used to be students that were incredibly inquisitive, ambitious, the students of today have radically changed in their woke ideology to being inclusive and creating altercations. They've become, in this sense, incredibly combative to anybody that deviates from the norm. There's a second thing here. The universities and K-12 school boards have hired woke faculty 
under the banner of diversity, equity, and inclusion, whose purpose is to indoctrinate, not to educate. Now, once this was well-established in major universities and only stands to reason, because they're the ones who actually train K through 12 teachers, that eventually this would seep down to local, elementary, middle, high school campuses. The leadership of the National Education Association and the American Federation of Teachers have promoted openly and aggressively critical race theory. The Wall Street Journal said this, critical theory is a neo-Marxist ideology that is pervasive in higher education and teaches that a person is defined above all else by race, gender, and sexual orientation, and that American institutions are designed to ensure white supremacy and the patriarchy. The third observation here is that Woke students thrive on angry threats, bullying, and confrontation because they perceive themselves as oppressed, making them unteachable. Students are now all victims of an oppressive system. The teacher or the professor, unless they fully embrace the entire woke philosophy, are part of that oppressive structure. Teacher unions, local school boards, even U.S. Department of Education powerful bureaucracies are obsessed with sexuality, race, and gender. Teachers who resist woke dictums immediately fired. Immediately fired. Fourth, education is no longer defined in binary right and wrong categories, but in whatever advances self-defined minorities. Take teaching math, for example. In fact, Jeff Weberly, who usually leads our music, you can pray for his family because they've come down with uh, that COVID strain that has gone around, so pray for them. He teaches math. Matthew was confessing to me how difficult in the public school system it's becoming to teach normal math anymore. Why? Well, in an article done called California Educators Battle Over Woke Math, it says the draft declares, a draft that was established by California teachers' unions, that traditional math instruction in which students progress from counting and simple arithmetic into geometry, algebra, trigonometry, and eventually calculus as they advance through the grades has much to correct because the subject and the community of mathematics has a history of exclusion and filtering rather than inclusion and welcoming. There persists a mentality that some people are bad in math or otherwise do not belong, and this mentality pervades many sources and at many levels. The draft continues. Girls and black and brown children notably represent groups that more often receive messages that they are not capable of high-level mathematics compared to their white and male counterparts. To counter that perceived shortcoming, the proposal would have students of all innate abilities remain together well in high school, essentially eliminating accelerated moves into higher-level mathematics, such as calculus. 
by those who exhibit desire and aptitude. Moreover, math instruction would be reoriented from the linear manipulation of numbers into a tool for social justice. Wow. It's teaching math. It's teaching math. So you can see this particular attack upon the mind that's coming from academia. This is really ultimately the source that's happening in our immediate culture. Where's it coming from? It's coming from secular universities and colleges. They have been promoting this and teaching this for the past four or five decades now, and it's only now beginning to splinter out into the broader culture. This is where it's coming from. The second area that we want to address here is that wokeness also is an attack upon merit. It is an attack upon merit. And primarily what we're talking about is corporations, employment, jobs. This is where you live. The value of hard work and productivity, that's key. The value of hard work and productivity. The Bible is loaded with all kinds of verses throughout the book of Proverbs about the value and the importance of hard work, being diligent, being faithful, being loyal to what you do, doing what you do to the best honor and glory of God. The Bible's loaded with all kinds of verses with that kind of admonition. But now we're finding out that that is meaningless. That is meaningless. The woke ideology says that it is discriminatory and racist not to give jobs to people who are unqualified. That's significant. You think about it. United Airlines has adopted hiring policies of pilots saying that they have a 10-year plan based primarily upon skin color and gender, not qualification. They want half of their pilots to be women and people of color 10 years from now no matter what. That's a serious problem. Uh, and do I want to find an airplane like that? Um, many secular universities um, and schools have similar policies. Disney, Coca-Cola, American Express, Bank of America, Lowe's, Pfizer include woke training for all their employees And if you don't take it, you are fired. The list could go on and on. Secondly, many corporations are denying knowledgeable and hardworking people employment for those who see merit as bigoted. To hire anyone in the majority, no matter how qualified, over someone who is considered a minority is racist, I should be hired for my gender and my color of skin, regardless of whether I know or understand the job at all. Third, corporations are claiming diversity while they are totally rejecting new ideas and diversity of viewpoint. You must understand that their view of diversity is limited to social constructs, that is race, gender, sexual preferences. True diversity of ideas and viewpoints are no longer permitted out there in major corporations. True diversity of viewpoints is not permitted. 
Fourth, big business is building the Trojan horse for the appearance of diversity, playing quota games only to reap an incompetent and ineffective workforce. What many corporations are really doing is virtue signaling. What is that? Well, virtue signaling is the popular modern habit of indicating that one has virtue merely by expressing disgust or favor for certain political ideas or cultural happenings. In order to serve the stockholders and to maintain high revenues, company risks disaster. If they appear to be discriminatory, if they play quota games, or so they play quota games, and eventually ingenuity and productivity diminishes significantly. The third area of cultural change here has to do with attack upon the military. Wokeness is an attack upon the military or police that serve to maintain societal safety. It is an attack upon the military. Department of Defense directives mandate the indoctrination of leading woke theorists among military personnel. A lot of this really began back in 2011 with the former President Barack Obama issuing a, an executive order for federal agencies to provide regular compulsory training to promote diversity and inclusion. It was uh, quickly adopted by the Department of Defense, and after that, one high-ranking military whistleblower said it this way, an extreme push for diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives within all federal agencies, including the uniform services. It's what he called extreme. Secondly, military and police advancement and promotions are increasingly based upon gender and race, not ability or skill. This meant long-term serving veterans of military and police are no longer being promoted or even given merit raises. They are passed over for diversity of race and gender, sometimes uh, something that they had worked hard for, I should say, for years, but now they find out that it's actually impossible to achieve because they are the wrong gender, they're the wrong race, or they have the wrong sexual preferences. Third, standards for military and police readiness have been lowered in order to be viewed as being more inclusive. There are a growing number of examples of this happening. More recently, during war games, here in the United States with Britain, 100, listen to this, 100 British Marines smashed 1,500 U.S. troops in war game drills. That's our readiness. 100 British Marines smashed 1,500 in war game drills. The U.S. military failed miserably in a fake battle over Taiwan. That's well popped. Uh, well-publicized, there's an interesting article in Popular Mechanics, actually, on this, going back to August 2nd, 2021. 
Now, whether or not the failures like this are a result of woke influences may be debatable, but something definitely is happening in our military. Fourth, trust now in the chains of command and recruitment have been eroded by politicization of the services. Many well-qualified and long-standing military and police professionals are resigning over a growing amount of distrust with their top leadership. Wokeness encourages defunding the police. Wokeness demands social reconstruction of the military regardless of consequences. Top brass are falling in line with woke ideologies. Radical changes are happening. Now, where is all this coming from? And this is where I want to turn to the cultural changes, from cultural changes to the conceptual change that's really behind them. What are the thought process, processes that are really driving these cultural changes? Basically, all I've done is describe something that you maybe have already perceived going on in the culture, and there's so much more that could be said, right? Well, let's look at the conceptual changes. First, there's an attack upon the attack of the woke mentality. Now, we're getting down at this particular point to really defining what are we talking about? What is really happening? What are the essential fundamental assumptions behind what is fueling the cultural changes that are going on out there? There is a woke mentality that is feeding all of this change and more. First of all, the chief assumption in this woke mentality is that culture is hopelessly racist with structural and systemic racism. Now, that's very fundamental notion that is being promoted by woke activists. It presents a false dichotomy. Our culture faces a fork in the road and a decision to either continue down the same path of systemic racism or to confront our past is before us. That's the false dichotomy. Like a cancer, this is uh, in every organ of the body, they would say. So racism is a part of everything that's going on in society. Secondly, individual morality or virtue cannot change the culture because it is systemic to the entire social structure. Personal anti-racist views will not change anything. The entire societal structure has to be destroyed, and you have to rebuild it along the lines of a social engineering model. So how does that change occur? Well, thirdly, the change can only occur through relentless political, social media, and economic pressure. The three critical tools of societal change is government, media, and business. Government can force change through power. Media can change opinion by limiting dissent. Business can compel and coerce change with the loss of your job. Fourth, being simply colorblind is insufficient. Defeating whiteness is the goal. That is fundamental to their thinking. Simply being colorblind is insufficient. 
Wokeness is not interested in people who are colorblind because that will never rid the society of systemic whiteness. White people and people of color who reject woke are part of the white privilege problem. They're part of the problem. Fifth, like a Trojan horse, it presents an impressive veneer of seeking radical equity, justice, and unity, but delivers racial hatred, injustice, and disunity. You know, harmful ideas rarely come in distasteful form, right? They have to be candy-coated. What's the candy for wokeness? Uh, Racial equality, justice, unity. Now, who can reject those? No one. As Christians, we have a heart for those kind of things. However, what they mean by those concepts violates how biblically informed Christians would define them, and I'm going to develop this more later in our series. Another conceptual change is called critical race theory. First, we talk about the woke mentality, but the other one is critical race theory. It goes hand in hand with what it means to be yoke, woke. So that's the tack of critical race theory Marxism. Now, as we mentioned in our introduction, critical race theory is neo-Marxist. What does it teach? Let me highlight five important foundational concepts in critical race theory. Now we're at the very core of the ideas here. Number one, it's this. The seemingly peaceful order, order of society hides horrible imbalances of power that must be destroyed. You may be enjoying a relatively peaceful life and everything seems to be going really well and you're going about, aside from things like COVID, everything seems to be going really well, but that's just hiding horrible imbalances that are going on. In other words, they would say, don't be fooled by your comfortable life. If you're comfortable and at peace, you're part of the problem. You have to be awakened to the terrible economic, political, and racial imbalances of power in this world. Secondly, racial power dynamics is really the lens by which these imbalances of oppression are seen. If you don't see it, then you're blind or you're looking through corrupted lenses. Structural racial oppression must be deconstructed. It permeates society like a soaked sponge of poison. You must educate yourself about racial power dynamics, and only then will you be able to see the true social injustice of the society. Third, the oppressed are especially the racial minorities, while the oppressors are whites and those who support their oppression. There must be an ethnic cleansing of those who are in the majority because they are the oppressors. Cleansing the whiteness of society along with all of its imbalanced structures of authority is necessary for everyone. The more I think about this and the more I read critical race theory, all you need to do when you're reading a lot of those books in is transport yourself in your mind back to the 1930s and replace white with Judaism 
in Germany. That's all you have to do. Uh, because all Jews were innately evil. That's all you have to do with this. This is where this ideology is headed. Fourth, the entire justice system must be changed from retributive focus to a distributive and reparative focus. In fact, the entire justice system should no longer focus on punishment of wrongdoers. That's retributive justice. But focus on racial redistribution of wealth and making amends for past grievances, distributive and reparative. If a minority would come and rob you, however that minority may be defined, the judge should allow that person to keep their spoils because of past discrimination of race. In fact, the California law defines petty theft now as theft of any property with a value of $950 or more. So one store owner, after learning the law, took everything in his store and valued it as $950. And then when they got to the register, he gave them a discount for what it really cost. All right? So that they would prosecute people who were stealing from him. This is how ridiculous this has become. Fifth, every form of society has been based on the antagonism of oppressing and oppressed classes. That's a quote from page nine of the Communist Manifesto. Racial power dynamics is the neo-Marxist view of social constructs because it divides all of society into two opposing classes, the oppressed and the oppressors. Ultimately, in the Marxist system, the government determines who are the oppressed and who are the oppressors. So who's ever in control of the government at that time sets the definition. But CRT has been broadened to include many different types now of minority. And this becomes even more scary. The third area of these conceptual changes has to do with the attack of intersectional minorities. In other words, injustice extends way beyond racial categories and intersects with each or several other disadvantaged minorities, they would say. First of all, intersectionality teaches that injustice is rampant across society and many underprivileged, underprivileged minorities share the same need of social justice. Now, this demonstrates how systemic social injustice saturates society. Intersectionality exposes an authoritarian, authoritarian structure in society that is meant to benefit only the ruling majority. The Oxford Dictionary defines intersectionality as the interconnected nature of social categorisms such as race, class, gender, regarded and creating overlapping and interdependent systems of discrimination or disadvantage. So social injustice, they would say, with intersectionality goes way beyond race. Goes way beyond race. Here... Any minority is classified 
as being oppressed by the overwhelming authority structure of the majority. Here's a few examples, and this is not an exhaustive list. For example, female oppression, women who suffer under masculine authority, they're part of a minority that is suffering. Or sexual gender oppression, LGBTQA. QIA suffer under the authority of the majority of straight people. Or there's child oppression. Adults who have authority over helpless children. Or there are the poor that are oppressed, rich exercising controlling authority over with their money. Or disabled oppression, the physically able dominate societal access called ableism. Religious oppression. The Christian majority oppresses all other forms of religion. And that's not an exhaustive list of how CRT intersects with other aspects of social categories. Now, there's one last thing that I want to hit on. How has all of these changes impacted the evangelical Christian church? What's really going on right now in the evangelical church? This is a critical question. How is this impacting the church? There are lots of church changes that are occurring. Critical race theory has already dramatically impacted many areas of the evangelical church. The mission of some evangelical churches as a result of that have significantly changed. And this has happened within the last 10 years. It has finally impacted both churches, denominations, across the world but now, only now, is beginning to impact very conservative, even Bible-believing churches, where we used to think or we used to believe that those particular churches actually stood with biblical authority. Let me highlight four things here. Number one, the church is the breeding ground for white privilege and for white supremacy. That is a very common belief now among many evangelical writers and teachers. The conservative Bible-believing church is considered a chief incubator for advancing and promoting white privilege and supremacy. Historically, like society, the church has had some who advanced racial discrimination and all of its ungodly elements And that has only served to paint every church with that particular brush. Secondly, the great adulterous sin of the church has been supporting the injustice of whiteness. So the mission of the church really has a new gospel. Sin is no longer rebellion against a holy God the damns an unrepentant sinner to hell while Jesus Christ is their only hope and salvation. What is it? It is supporting the injustice of whiteness 
It needs to be awakened, the church does, to its ongoing racism and seek repentance. Its mission is to remove all whiteness. Third, it is a real mission. Its real mission is to decry this injustice and raise up an ecclesiastical revolution overflowing, overthrowing the traditional authority structures. Just as racial discrimination is systemic to society, it is also systemic to the structure of the church, they would say. There must be an internal revolution to deconstruct traditional ecclesiastical authority in order to make it a place of racial equity, justice, and unity. The church must be a place where the oppressed find justice. Fourth, evangelical Christians are complicit in the sins of their forefathers and need to openly repent of their white privilege. Evangelicals have benefited greatly from past oppression of the minorities and they must seek reparations. Their forefathers' authoritarianisms gave them their power, their white power and their white privilege and it's time for minorities to correct the imbalance and to take it back. So that radically changes everything. Every missionary endeavor, every kind of thing that the church seeks to do in society and the culture, the entire mission of the church now radically changes. It has one focus, and that is getting rid of what is referred to as white privilege or whiteness. Now, for many conservative churches, their mission has changed, but their message has changed as well. I've hinted at that already just a little bit, but what is the message that's really changed here? What is being preached and taught in several churches are a watered-down form, and in some cases, without the exact terminology of, and yet the foundational ideas of critical race theory. For example, recently, many evangelical churches and denominations have radically modified their positions on leadership. You can see this with the acceptance of women pastors, You can see this with the LGBTQIA, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, intersex, asexual, as an acceptable lifestyles in order to avoid the accusation of hate speech. If you were here at Grace last Sunday, you heard our own pastor, John MacArthur, speak on the issue supporting the pastors in Canada because of the resolution that has come about that uh, you cannot preach or say anything against the LGBTQIA community without being fined or possibly even thrown into prison. 
And so uh, hundreds of pastors across Canada, several pastors here in the U.S., took this particular Sunday, and our pastor did the same thing to address this particular issue. It was put on YouTube, but if you noticed, when it was put on YouTube this week, it didn't take less than a day for YouTube to label it, his message, as hate speech. Our own pastor's message was labeled as hate speech. I was there. I listened to that message. There's not a hateful thing in that message whatsoever. But this is coming from where? This is coming from this critical race theory that dominates the culture right now and especially dominates social media. There's the key. The principles of intersectionality now are replacing careful Bible exposition in a lot of pulpits. Justification for women preachers, egalitarianism, is a result of the influence of this anti-masculine, toxic masculinity of wokeness. Pulpits are beginning to redefine homosexuality as an unchangeable orientation. It is only sinful if it's practiced, which is the position of the Gospel Coalition, and some of you probably know Sam Alberry. Any message that calls anything in the LGBTQIA as sinful will be labeled as hate speech. So the church avoids these issues by being seeker-friendly, by only saying things that are going to be positive things. That radically changes the message of the Word of God. You basically now are coming to churches to hear what the culture tells them to preach, not what the Bible and the Spirit of God says should be taught in the church. The second is that the central gospel message of the church is changing because whites are the central creators and benefactors of their privilege, so they must repent of their personal, social, and historical sins. So repentance now, obviously, is totally redefined. The message of many conservative churches have radically changed. Sin is primarily defined as racial discrimination or being white, actually, or being white in your thinking. So it's strange that many of these churches will say that being homosexual is not sinful, only practicing it is. But, and then they turn around and they say, being white is sinful. You don't even have to practice it. Uh, that speaking with forked tongue. The personal sins of racism sins of practicing racism, the sins of ethnic race, uh, races past must all be confessed and acknowledged before God. And once confessed, there's no true forgiveness because, as they love to say, white will always be white. They love to say that. Number three, If racial, sexual, and gender oppression is systemic to the church, 
then both orthodoxy and orthopraxy, revolutionary change is necessary. Orthodoxy means doctrine. The doctrine of the church must change. The church's doctrine of salvation must be redefined and reimagined along the, these racial power dynamics. It's through that lens now that the church's doctrine must change. Orthopraxy means practice. The church's racial practices must change. Change will not happen until there is a major revival and revolution in the church. So there has got to be major upheaval occurring within current conservative, evangelical, Bible-believing churches if there is really going to be real change. Fourth, egalitarian marriages, same-sex marriages, transsexuals, Polygamous marriages, which are a man with several wives, and polyandrous marriages, which is a woman with many husbands. All of that needs to be recognized as legitimate by the church. Because the church has been the oppressor of these types of intersectionality in marriage for far too long. When woke mentality infects the church, the church ceases to be the church. It becomes a social justice Trojan horse. Now I want to close the first part of this series with a quote from Owen Stratton. It's going to help to sum up this part one in this three-part series on the Trojan horse of critical race theory. Listen to what Owen says, quoting him, it might seem then that wokeness stated burden for justice means that it can fit neatly into Christianity. The problem, though, is that while wokeness supposedly shares a vision for equity and virtue, it is radically different from Scripture and the biblical worldview. When you actually delve into woke literature, and when you study critical race theory and intersectionality in particular, you come away shocked by what you see in many senses. In both cure and diagnosis, wokeness as advanced by figures like Ibrahim Kendi, Robin D'Angelo, and Richard Delgado is not Christianity. It does not advance biblical justice. It is, in truth, a compromise of true biblical justice and a corruption of true biblical gospel. End of quote. Take your Bible in closing, and let's go over to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. In the first epistle here of John... The Apostle John speaks about people who falsely claim to have the gift of divine utterance, that what they say is truth. doesn't matter what the Word of God says. What they say is truth. Reminds me so much 
of social justice theorists. Believe me, what I say is truth. Ignore what the Bible really says. Believe me. Notice what the Apostle John says to the early Christians. 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, as a believer, you're called to be a discerner. Not everything that sounds theologically good is true righteousness. You have to test the spirits. How do you do that? By the truth of the word of God. That's how you do that. In our next two parts in our series, we will be doing some testing. Let's bow for prayer. Dear Father, we thank you. We thank you for the Spirit of God that is at work in our personal lives, but also the Spirit of God that is at work in society and culture today because we realize as a God who controls all of history and who has ordained through your divine sovereignty and providence these things to occur at this particular time in history, that you want your people to be discerners. We would be lazy if we ignored what was going on here. This should drive us back to the word of God. This should cause us to be more fervent in the true gospel and how the true gospel can radically change the lives of people for the sake of righteousness and for the sake of your glory and your honor and your holiness. Help us to be, Father, anti-social warriors who are defined by what Scripture says, not by what the culture says. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.